Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. So we're, we're in this series called Building with Jesus. And um, I've been noticing something in kind of recent history, and I was kind of ranting about it in our team meeting this morning, and Chris goes, I think you should preach about that. I was like, I'm a, a man under authority, so I do what my pastor says to do, and um, so here we go this morning. So uh, we're going to be talking about something this morning called vision building, vision building or, or building vision, because... I live my life in what I call thirds, right? So Holly and I have the honor of leading a missions organization called Lynx. I spend about a third of my time in the corporate world doing business coaching and organizational development training and, and things like that. And then a third of my time here with, with Renaissance, which is great. And so, but I, I get to spend time with a lot of different people and in a lot of different places. And it doesn't matter which third I'm in, like everywhere right now, you just kind of see the reality that our world's a mess right? People's lives are a mess. Things just seem confused and upside down. Politics are a mess. Morality's a mess. Business is a mess. The economy's a mess. Relationships are a mess. International tensions are, are a mess. Natural disasters are a mess. Chances are in the world, in your world, you've got some specific mess that you're trying to get sorted out that, that you're not through yet. And it just seems to be a, a common theme. And I'm not sure, you know, there's a lot of um, talk around, well, I mean, there's never been more activity than this, and it's the end times, and it's like, it could be true. There's a lot going on. I'm also just not sure if because of information and technology, we're just a lot more aware of how much mess there is, because I think the truth is every generation has been an absolute mess. And everywhere we go in the Bible, we have these books of the Bible that let us know that in every book of the Bible, there's some specific mess that they're facing that isn't worse, it isn't better than what we're facing today. Matter of fact, in a lot of cases, it's much worse than what we've been facing, but it just seems like in all of these messes, we seem to be focusing on the messes themselves as if that's what should, should get our focus. And so we just get on this micro kind of ground war level of these issues and these tensions and arguments and, and temporary solutions. And it seems to me, I just think we're focusing on the wrong thing. I don't think that overall we have a mess problem. I think the mess has always been a mess and we live in a fallen and broken world and there's hardship in this world. We will have trouble. Everything, that's a promise that Jesus gives us. Take heart, he has overcome the world. So I'm just wondering, like, are we spending too much time focused on our individual struggles? Are we spending too much time focused on our individual sins? And I can't get victory over this one area. And, and we keep, you know, people keep arguing on social media if their political opinion is going to change anything whatsoever. Like, why? Stop. It's not doing anything, right? It's just making enemies more than it's doing anything. Like, we just kind of focus on these levels of messes that aren't solutions. And I think that we don't have a mess problem. I think that what we actually have is a vision problem. And, and I love this verse from Proverbs, and you guys will recognize it. And it's going to be up there on four different 
translations, just so you may have learned it in a different translation. But the first one, uh, Proverbs 29.18, comes from our CSB that we use most often here. Without revelation, people run wild. Are people running wild? Yes. Why? No revelation, what the Bible says. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. Could it be any more simple than that? Like, could it just be that we have a, a revelation problem? The CSB translates, vision is revelation. If you, um, I love this one from the International Standard Version. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. If you grew up learning the King James, where there is no vision, this one's intense, the people perish. Right, started a little stronger in the 1600s. This is how important vision is. If you don't have it, you will die. Or maybe you'll just feel like you're dead later on, or maybe you're just living with no restraint. Maybe you're running wild, but it says that happiness comes from living under this vision. I love the way the message says that if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. I don't know about you, but living in that most blessed sounds good, right? So why do we choose anything that's not that? So what is most blessed when we see what God is doing. The ESV, I love it, where there's no prophetic vision. So it's not just some random, I've got an idea. It's like, hey, there's a prophetic vision which connects us to the idea that it's talking about insight directly from God for the life that we're living is the way that we can find the only happiness that there is. Otherwise, we're gonna find running wild. We're gonna find chasing after the wind. We're gonna find frustration. We're gonna find depression. We're gonna find unhappiness. We're gonna find mess right? So the mess is there, but God's message is also there. And, and I feel like this verse is just saying, hey, pay attention to this, this vision, this idea of revelation and prophetic vision or, um, and seeing what God is doing is the issue. And so the more I just kind of get called in, I usually get called in at crisis time, right? When something's broken, I come in and do you have a training for this? Yes, but like, just stop gossiping about each other and live ethically and it's gonna be fine, you know? Or I get uh, calls, I do biblical counseling and so I, I get people at their absolute worst and it's like, it doesn't matter what your struggle is, the answer is the prophetic vision from God, the revelation from God. So vision is the only thing, the right kind of vision is the only thing to lift you out of the mess. It's nothing that you can do. It's not a, an easy, it's the vision has already been proclaimed by God and we have, to, we have to find it. So that's what I wanna kind of lead us through this morning. And I wanna just start with some definition. The word revelation or prophetic vision comes from, in the Proverbs, comes from a Hebrew word that the Dictionary of Biblical Languages calls this, a communication from God to be communicated to others. Isn't that great? Like, but when we go to our friends and go, what do you think we should do? That's not vision. Because how do you know that they know what you should do? God knows what you should do. Like, don't look to other things. The podcast isn't gonna tell you what to do. Your friend's not gonna tell you what to do. The book's not gonna tell you what to do. God's already told you what to do. 
He's already put that out there and he has this, this communication from him to be communicated to others. So first and foremost, are we positioning ourselves for communication from God? The other amazing thing is that when we receive communication from God, it doesn't just stay stagnant or stationary. It has a way of coming through us and blessing the world. The prophetic vision of God, the revelation of God, is communication that comes through uh, to us, through us, and blesses the world. That's how you know that it's from God. And this word is also sometimes translated as sight, or I like this one, um, visibility. Visibility. In other words, prophetic vision or revelation is the way that we get from the way things are to the way things could be. So vision is the way to get from the way things are to the way things should be. There's no way to get out of the mess. There's no way for your circumstance to be different. There's no way to have something that you don't currently have unless there's some kind of vision for that thing. Just trying harder is, is not vision. Self-discipline is not vision. Self-condemnation is not vision. Saying I'm not going to think about that thing anymore is not vision. Vision is the only thing that takes us from the way things are to the way things should be. And so if that's what it takes when we're looking around the mess in the world, the conclusion is our world's not living with a whole lot of God's revelation. It's not living with a whole lot of prophetic vision because there's not a lot of happiness. There's not a lot of contentment. There's not a lot of joy. There's not a lot of fulfillment. There's not a lot of rising above this pettiness of messiness and riding with God in his vision. And I think that's what I, I want us to be about. So I want to start with um, just a little bit of a, a story time, right? I wanted to like find some music and like play under this because, can I tell you a story? Is that all right? All right. I gave you Bible already. So those of you that are like, where's the Bible? All right. We started with Bible. We're coming back to the Bible. This is story time. This is just free. All right. So I'm going to give you a little extra. So I've been thinking and praying about vision all week. Like, I just keep thinking about the old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. And I was like, man, what an amazing song that, that really is. So um, it's not really unusual for me to dive into, like, where'd that song come from? Who wrote it? What year? What was the purpose? What's the story behind it? I love that stuff. For almost every song that we sing on this stage, I've done that to the song. So that's pretty common. And usually it's by this person at this time. And then sometimes there's a great story. And sometimes it's just they studied the, the word and they found this passage and came out with it. But most songs are born out of an experience that, to me, um, really makes me value the song more. It's a testimony that somebody got a vision for something and found their way through it, and a song was written about that. So while I was um, just kind of working my way through the history of Be Thou My Vision, it's one of the oldest Christian hymns that we have because it dates back to the 6th century in Ireland. That's old. It was originally written in Gaelic, a poem um, th by the now-sainted Dalan Forgal, Bithusa Mo Shule. I don't know if that's how you say it. I don't speak Gaelic. If you do, let me know how I did. All right? So, and then um, the story is, that you can't make this up, right? The story is, is um, he literally became blind from studying too much. 
So it's a good thing the kids aren't in here anymore, right? Sorry, mom, my dad, I can't study too much. I don't want to go blind. But he was so given to intellect that he had a hunger for learning and studying and reading that was unparalleled. And there wasn't eyeglasses back then and there wasn't a So he strained his eyes so much that he became known as the kid that was blind. That this, he, he was given this actually a nickname um, because the nickname means... It's just, you know, not a great nickname, but it means little blind one. That's what he was named, and it stuck because that's what's attributed to him in the writing of this poem. So it's interesting to me that while he was writing this poem in Gaelic, he was acutely aware of his need for vision because he couldn't see. He could see. He lost his sight. He knew what it was to see. He knew what it was to not be able to see. And he started writing down words out of that situation that have become Be Thou My Vision. Okay, so that was in the, the fifth century, sixth century in Ireland. So a few years later in 1905, 1905, 1500 years later, a lady named Mary Elizabeth Byrne came across this ancient poem and she translated to English this work that he had written in the 6th century. And this was significant because she did this in her university. Well, in 1905, she was one of the first women to be admitted into university in Ireland. So as she comes and has this great passion for learning of all the works and pieces and poems in the world that she could have become attached to, she finds this Gaelic poem. She's so smart, she can translate it from Gaelic to English. And then she does that. One of the first women allowed to receive a formal education. She also was one of the first women to get a master's degree. She put this work out into the universe, and it got published in the Journal of the School of Irish Learning. I don't know if you've read that. No? Me neither. Elizabeth Byrne was her name. In 1912, Eleanor Hull found this work that Byrne had published in this journal that was translated from this original Gaelic poem in the sixth century. And she said, I think there's something there. And she took the work and then she versified it. So she, she added verse to the poem as a part of her education and the work got published again. Then it had a meter and a flow that somebody thought was so significant. They said, hey, we should put that to music. And so sometime later, it was set to a tune called Slain that um, is named after a place called Slain Hill. And they set it to this word called Slain and Be Thou My Vision was published in the Irish Church Hymnal in 1919. And it was an instant hit. And we have it because of that journey. But that's not all. Let me tell you a minute about Slain Hill, if I could. This is Slain Hill. Right? This is kind of a, a holy site in Ireland. Um, it's kind of a monastery site. There's a church there that started. But Slain Hill is known for something that St. Patrick did there. St. Patrick, like March 17th, St. Patrick, right? Turns out it, it's not just like, it, it's not a beer thing. It's a Jesus thing. Like that's what made St. Patrick great. 
So Shane Hill is known for, or Slane Hill is known for what St. Patrick did there. If you don't know anything about St. Patrick, St. Patrick was born into a Catholic family in Britain. When he was 16 years old, he was kidnapped by Irish raiders, right, at the time, and he was forced into slavery. And so he went and was taken, forcefully taken from his family and forced into slavery he was born in about 386, um, and at the age of 16, he was kidnapped. And he spent six years in the fields as a shepherd, as a slave. And it was during that time that he started crying out to God. God, if you're real, God, I trust you. God, could you help me? God, could you rescue me? One night, he has a vision. And the vision said to him, your boat is ready. So then... He comes up with a way to escape. Nobody invited him. He got a vision. But the vision was so strong that he risked getting killed for escaping. And he escaped from his captors. And he found a boat. And he talked to a captain. Talked his way onto this boat. And he was reunited with his family a few years later. He made his way back to Britain, at which point he was very aware of how God had delivered and rescued him from his captivity. And he went on to study for 12 years, becoming a bishop, working and serving in the church, in the Catholic church in Britain, when something else happened. He had another vision. And the vision, just there's, there's different accounts of this vision, but he's written on this personally. And the vision is basically, he heard the Irish people saying, we need you to come walk with us. So what did he do? He left the comfort, his family was reunited. Don't ever leave me again. He gets a vision and he's like, I've got to take Jesus to the people that enslaved me. There was an incredible risk to his life at doing that during that time because the Druids were ruling and reigning pagan rituals and festivals where Ireland had no church, except for Patrick had a vision. So he goes back to Ireland. So every year at spring harvest time, there was a, there's an Irish Gaelic tradition, a, Dru, a Druid tradition to where to glorify the high king like, we don't have this language, right? The high king of the area was a big deal. The high king was worshipped. The high king's ancestors were worshipped. And so there was a different hill that wasn't Slain Hill called Terra Hill, nearby to Slain Hill. And it was the place, the ancient recognition of the high kings. And all of the people worshipped the king, the high king of the area. On the, and every year at spring festival time, they told everybody in the village, extinguish your house fires, right? Go completely dark and wait for it. And we're going to light up the night with this fire on Terra Hill that recognizes that the high king is the source of everything. And we're going to, we're going to, you're going to wait in the darkness and the light from the hill is going to go down and sweep through the village and we'll light every house fire back from this light. So every year, this was something that the Druids did. Just happens to be about the same time St. Patrick shows up in Ireland. Well, there's also a tradition in the Catholic Church, and that's on Easter Eve, you light a bonfire celebrating the light of the world, coming to save humanity, conquer death, raise from the dead, and rule and reign forever. So lighting a bonfire in a very similar fashion was something that St. Patrick did back in Britain. So he comes to, and, and, and historians disagree on the intentionality, whether he did it on purpose or whether it was just God's 
Perfect timing. So on Slane Hill, St. Patrick lights a bonfire at the very time that everybody had extinguished their fires. And it was before the high king lit his fire. So now all of a sudden, there's another fire burning and it ain't the high king's. Right? Are we getting it? What are they going to do to the guy with the other fire? Kill that guy. Who in their right mind would do it? But they already knew of St. Patrick and they knew why he had come. And so somebody in the king's camp looked and told him, an advisor said, if we don't extinguish his flame, it's going to sweep all over Ireland. Go get him. They go and get him. They bring him to the king who says, what are you doing? And he said, I... I have to honor my savior, the light of the world, and I've come to share him with you. The king goes, wow, and sends him away. Later, that king becomes a believer in Jesus because St. Patrick left what was comfortable, established Christianity, and 700 churches today can be traced to him planted 700 churches. Like we've been trying to plant this one for like, you know, five years now. And it's like, he did 700 in a, in a short period of time. God just used him. Why did he go? He had a vision. God gave him vision. Of, and then somebody just thought that story was so cool. They wrote a song of just a, a no word piece of music, an accompaniment track from that story. And of all the stories in all the songs, that's the one that they pick to be set to the lyrics of Be Thou My Vision. A 1,500-year journey, stories of overcoming blindness, stories of powerful light conquering the darkness and blowing the, the high king of the land. He didn't reign above it all. God reigned above it all, and he put his glory on display Anyway, I just kind of want us to start getting a picture of the power of vision. What was the only thing that happened? A vision to go home, a vision to come back. And he did it. He did it. I can't see. I know the power of that. So I think that just kind of helps us learn a little bit about vision. There's so much more in St. Patrick's story. But I want to just give us some instruction about vision if I could, for the rest of our time. So let me talk to you about vision. Number one, the number one thing about vision is if you're sitting there going, I'm intimidated by vision. I don't know what my vision is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Relax. God already has a vision. It's not for you to determine what your vision is. God's already got it handled for you. And we could take this from so many different passages of scripture, but I want us to just see from Genesis 1, 31, that God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. What's God's vision? That the thing that he made would be good. He created a good place. He created perfect people. He created them in a place where there was open fellowship with him. They, they walked with him and they, they talked with him. And he said, I have given you everything that you need for your fulfillment and your satisfaction. What's God's vision for the world? It's what he created. He already had that fully in mind at creation. And what's the culmination of that? It's going to be like that again someday. 
God's vision is the same. It changed. God's not threatened. He's not insecure. He's not going like, oh, this got really bad all of a sudden. What in the world are we going to do? No, no, no. God's vision is set and secure, and he's not fussed about it. But in Genesis 3, sin comes into the world, and the people that he created bailed on his vision. They chose a different vision. They elevated themselves to rule and reign. They eat from the one tree that he said don't eat of so that they could be like God. That was the offer. Well, you can be like God. And they were like, sign me up. And little has changed because people want to be their own God. They want to do what feels right to them. They don't want anybody to to tell them what to do. Genesis 3 messed it all up, but God's vision is still intact. And the more we see of God, the more we realize that that is his vision. Perfect fellowship with his creation. What else? Nothing else. No sin, no death, no darkness, no pain, no suffering. That's God's vision. So when we look around and we see it, we're starting to recognize like that's not God's vision and we feel the tension of living in between these two realities of the way it was supposed to be and the way it will be again, but it's not the way that it is right now. So you don't have to stress about your vision because God's already got your vision um, sorted out. Okay, so what I want us to see though is that I do believe, we sang a song that said something about destiny already. I do believe that we are created for purpose. You are here for purpose. Like there's a reason that God created you and put you on this big spinning ball called earth and it's not to just take up 80 years of oxygen, right? Like there is purpose that God has designed you for that's a part of his vision that he's working out for all of eternity and there's something for us to participate in. There's a role to play in that. There's things that he made us to do. There's things he made you to do that he didn't make anybody else to do. You have a uniqueness to what you were made for by him and for him is why he created you with destiny, with purpose, with vision. And so I don't want us to just take a pass and go, well, God's got the vision sorted and I'm just here for it. It's like, you're here for it more than you know. You're invited into it. You have, to, you have to choose whether you want to participate in it or not. So for these next ideas of vision, I'm going to pull a lot from two uh, books of the Bible. So we're going to read two whole books of the Bible today. Hope you packed a lunch. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, we're going to be looking at Habakkuk, and we're going to be looking at Nehemiah. So I just want to, honestly, I, I'm just going to whet your appetite on these two books of the Old Testament, two very different prophets who both, I think, have incredible um, examples uh, vision that are quite different. But I just want us to learn a couple things about this morning, and I think it's going to encourage you. So very quickly, Habakkuk was living around 600 BC. He's a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah, apparently a little less dramatic than him. Habakkuk's book is like three chapters long. There's only like less than 700 words in Habakkuk. You could knock it out in 10 minutes, right? So if you're wanting to check that off your list, it would be a good place to start. We know very little about Habakkuk, but he's just kind of overcome with, God, this world is wicked. It's a terrible place. What are we doing? All right, that's Habakkuk. Nehemiah was a trusted Israelite leader who worked in the court of a Persian king, and Nehemiah was writing from captivity. 
So he, while he was captive in Babylon, he was working for a king that wasn't an Israelite king. It's, not a, it's outside of the nation of Israel. He's the cupbearer for the king, right? Like it's just a normal job that if somebody tries to poison the king, Nehemiah is dead because he takes the first drink to make sure the king's not poisoned. And his book picks up two groups of Israelites have already returned from exile back to Jerusalem, and he hasn't been dismissed yet. So they went in waves when they were released from exile. So it's already been decided that they're being sent back to Jerusalem. Exile's over. After hundreds of years of being in captivity there, people have started going back, and word starts coming back going, hey, the walls of Jerusalem are completely destroyed. Because of the, the war against Israel, the, the wall of Jerusalem, the city that, that signifies the strength and security and stability of the city was busted. It had been burned. It was weak. It couldn't, it couldn't do what it was designed to do. And Nehemiah just started thinking like, that's not okay. Like somebody's got to fix that wall. So that's what they are. So let me, that's just a very insultingly simple oversight of these two godly men. So you know, take it as you wish. But let me tell you the first thing. So the first thing about vision is that God, um, God, God's good on vision. He's always got a vision. His vision is good and he's already decided. The second thing that we see is that God reveals his vision through relationship. And that's why I love that this idea of revelation, I love that CSB uses the word revelation because revelation is just kind of the gap between God's vision and where we are. How do we bridge the gap from what we're experiencing to where God is? Revelation bridges that gap, but receiving that revelation only comes through a relationship with him. It only comes through a relationship. God is not transactional, he's relational. He's not just listing out. It's like these guys made room to go to God with their cares and concerns. They were praying to God when they got revelation from God about what they were supposed to do. So if you're at a place where you're not receiving your vision, I'm going to ask you, what's your relationship like? What's your prayer life like? What's your intake of God's word like? Are you just showing up and doing Christian things and believing doctrines that we're, we're hoping is going to be enough to get us into heaven? Or are you walking with the Lord every day? Are you enjoying like a walk through the garden? Are you pouring your, your heart out to him? Are you being quiet and listening for what he wants to say back? Are you using the scriptures to just change who you are and to, to reveal more of who he is? There's an awful lot of vision just in reading what God has already said in his word, and we get inspired from that. But I just want to invite you, like if you're not, if you wouldn't say that your faith experience is like a, a good relationship with the Lord, that's a gap that you can close by stepping into relationship with him. You can be disciple, you can learn more, you can go deeper in your walk with him because when we pray and when we study the word, when we see what Jesus taught, then we pick up more and more of the heart of God and we start to care about the things that God cared about. Throughout history, hospitals exist, orphanages exist because the people of God were reading about the heart of God and going, we gotta do something about this thing that breaks God's heart. And vision starts a lot of times with care and concern. What do you care about? What are you concerned about? What does your heart break for? What do you go to bed thinking about that's not right in this world? I'm gonna tell you, God's moving you towards vision in that area. He's got something for you to participate in there. Vision starts with, with care 
and concern. And so he reveals that to us through prayer and through reading his word. Builders start with vision. Smitty, if you were going to start a construction company, what would you call it? Vision. <laughs> that already happened, by the way. That was the name of Smitty's construction company. He's retired, though, so don't be calling him to, like, you know, fix your stuff. All right, so... Um, Builders start with vision. If you don't have a vision for what's supposed to happen, and we're talking about building with Jesus, like if you just go out there with like some lumber and some, a hammer and some nails, like what you come out with is gonna lack a lot of stability and a lot of structure. If you don't start with vision, you're missing out on an awful lot of what you could otherwise have. I love this. Uh, Chip and Joanna have had an incredible influence on the world simply by having vision for helping things be better than what they currently are. And I love this. Um, they have a quote that says, the best way to predict the future is to create it. That's a statement of vision. Are we going to sit around and complain that things aren't the way that we want them to be? Or are we going to have a vision to do something about it? Are we going to allow God to position us and grow us to be people doing something? And so uh, I want us to look at a couple verses here. And from Nehemiah 1, he said, When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. This is Nehemiah going, I can't believe that our wall was destroyed. Our city, the, where we go, where we worship is vulnerable. We're not safe. We're not steady. And his response was, I sat down and I wept. And I mourn for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Where did he start? Relationship. Crying out to God. God, this isn't okay. God, bless. God, help us. God, show me what to do. God, make me available. He's crying out to God. Habakkuk said it like this. How long, Lord, must I call for help? There's two different, very different scenarios happening. Nehemiah prayed, got a vision, and went to work. Habakkuk is kind of stuck in the tension. And he goes to God, and he never got an answer. As far as I know, Habakkuk's still waiting for some answers. I don't know. He only wrote three chapters. Like, maybe he wrote more that we don't have. But we have waiting for the vision and we have walking in the vision. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But you will receive your vision from your relationship with God. That's where it comes for. Both of these guys cried out to God and God answered them. Even though Habakkuk didn't get clarity on his vision, God met him there, spoke to him, and Habakkuk's um, book ends with worship. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That verse comes from somewhere else, but that's where Habakkuk, that's what Habakkuk did. So the next thing about vision that we learn from Habakkuk is the vision should be written down. Write the vision. It says, write down the vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. When you start to get clear, when you start to get those things, those downloads from revelation with God, don't trust that you're gonna remember that. That's when we've been in, in sessions where we hear people giving prophetic messages and prophetic words, and it's like, I'm like, where's my phone? I'm gonna voice memo that sucker because I don't wanna lose it. So when you get that insight, I'll never remember, I'll never forget the time I was just praying, and, and God, Holly and I were um, youth pastors in, in Wimberley, and we were away for her birthday, and she was sleeping late, and I was, um, I'm a holy man of God, so I was up praying, right? Like, so what we do. So I was praying, and I was like, God, I'm sensing some frustration, and he goes, it's time for you to plant that church. Wait a minute. And it's like, 
got out my journal. I was like, I better write this down because I'll dismiss that revelation in my flesh. And I'm gonna write that down because I don't wanna be able to back out of the vision that God, God gave me. That was way back in 2003. And God brought that vision to pass, but there was just a sweet moment. Writing brings clarity and accountability. So if you're not writing down the things that God is saying, I'd like to encourage you to take your relationship with him to the next step and keep that stuff written down. Make, have a journal, just put it in a, a memo of what God's speaking to you, write it down. And number four, the vision has an appointed time. Habakkuk 2, the next, very next verse says, hey, the vision, write it down, but the vision's for an appointed time and it testifies about the end and it will not lie. So what, that vision that God's given you, that's good, but here's the trick. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. Well, Habakkuk didn't get to experience it, but that was still his testimony. Some, so sometimes the vision waits for an appointed time. So you may get a word from God. You may get a revelation that you're like, I wanna do something and God's going, that's actually like 35 years from now, but hold on, time's not right yet. That's not a failure of vision. That's trusting of God's timing. So if you've been carrying a vision for a long time and you're frustrated, don't be frustrated. God's not decided that it's time yet. Pick it back up and trust him. Ask him about it. Go into relationship with him about it. But the vision has an appointed time. The next thing about a vision is that a vision needs a plan. A vision needs a plan. A vision without a plan is just a dream. And dreams don't usually happen. But a vision has a plan. I saw this and I thought this was amazing. At Kroger uh, this week, like on the discount, I always go to the discount thing and say, what's there? I've never once bought anything from the sale table at Kroger. But here, for $2.87, you can buy a planner for 2023. That's not a good plan. <laughs> like when we're talking about vision and we're talking about a plan, can't go backwards, we can only go forward. So just because you may have started 2023 strong and fell off, you can't go back there, right? Don't pay 287 for a planner for 2023. They should be paying you to take it. Like that should just go in the recycle, I don't understand. But anyway, the, the vision needs a plan. It needs a real plan. A few years ago, uh, we were visiting some friends in England and they were like, do you wanna go to France? And we we're like, yes. They answered, yes, we'll go to France. And I'm like, how are we getting there? We're we gonna like fly, we're we gonna take a bus, we're we gonna take a train. No, we're gonna take the channel. Awesome, what's the channel? Under the English channel is 300 feet under the sea is a tunnel that somebody dug. And so they're like, actually, we're gonna do both. We're gonna drive our car onto the train and the train's gonna drive us under the ocean. We're gonna leave Dover in England and we're gonna come out in Calais in France. It's amazing. Highly recommend it. I don't even know if you can do it now because of Brexit, but anyway, that's a different story. Sure you can, but it's more complicated. But here's the thing. This is what I learned about the channel, right? It, it was like nearly 100 years in discussion before it was executed. When it was executed, the English people started on this side and the French people started on this side with different equipment because their stuff is different and they started digging a hole. And eventually it met in the middle. Like, you're not gonna eyeball that. 
right? Like, hey, I think you're a little, like, it's 300 feet beneath the surface. So this amazing marvel of modern technology, I just think it demonstrates, like, they, it, it amazes me when they're doing this in my neighborhood. It's like, they're redoing Beach Nut, and it's like, they started on opposite ends, and it's coming together, and it's like exactly connected now. How do they do that? Because they took the time to get good plans. If you're a dreamer or a visionary, you may need help with your plan. But what I do know is that you need a plan. Like a vision needs a plan to come to fruition. And we see this in Nehemiah. And he said, I prayed to the God of heavens and answered the king. Um, The king was like, hey, what's got you so bothered? And he's like, Jerusalem's a mess. Like he wasn't in Jerusalem. He was working for this guy in captivity. And so, but he was praying to God. And then, and the king said, and he said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah into the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. And the king granted my request for the gracious hand of my God was on me. He was ready for the question. What are you gonna do? Send me over there because I'm gonna rebuild that sucker. He was ready He had spent time getting ready. So if you're serious about your vision, you're gonna have to spend time getting ready. If you're gonna start a business, get your business plan together. If you need to talk to investors, start asking people about who the investors are that could maybe help you with this project, but you gotta get to the plan. Number six, the vision requires God's provision. I love this. At the end of Nehemiah chapter four, it says, wherever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Like Nehemiah just always, always was aware that if God didn't do this, it wasn't gonna get done. If your vision is something that you can do on your own, it's not God's vision. God's vision requires his provision. It's gonna take more. All of a sudden you look at it in Nehemiah chapter four, it lists everything they repaired on the wall. You wanna hear it? The fish gate, the old gate, the broad wall, the tower of the ovens, the valley gate, the dung, the dung gate. How would you love to be assigned to the dung gate? Like, that's your job? Gonna need you guys to help. Who's excited about fulfilling God's vision? Dung gate. Uh, the fountain gate, the angle, the water gate, the tower, the horse gate, the inspection gate, the sheep gate. Hundreds of people were rallied because of one person's vision to fix the wall. Countless supplies, people coming up with everything that they need. And I just wanna encourage you with this, is that God wants to provide supernaturally for the vision that he's put in your heart to do. And if you can do it on yourself, if you can do it by yourself, that's just ambition. Ambition and vision, not the same thing. Vision requires God's supernatural provision, and we see it at work. The last thing I want to say is that the vision will come under attack. It probably already has. When Nehemiah started getting some traction and people were seeing the work, people were like, hey, could you meet me at the pub? I want to kill you. He was smart enough. He was right with God. And I love this so much. And he says, hey, I'm doing important work and I can't come down. Why should the work cease while I leave and go down to you? Four times they sent me to the same proposal and I gave them the same reply. I'm not giving up on the vision. 
I'm not coming down to serve your distraction. I'm not coming down to serve your attack. I'm not gonna allow myself to be destroyed by you when God has made it clear. But that's what we do with sin all the time. We're doing a good work, temptation, whoo. We came down to be a part of something destructive. It's not a sin problem, that's a vision problem. I came down from the work that God had called me to do. Nehemiah is just showing us you have to fight for that thing that God has called you to do. You have to keep going. They positioned soldiers. They were like, hey, have your sword in one hand and your club and your construction in the other. So they were like building the wall and watching their six. They had a plan. They were smart about their vision, but they weren't gonna let the threats or the attacks stop them. Just because somebody's talking trash about your vision, so what? That's what people with no vision do. If they're attacking your vision, that just means they don't have one. Otherwise, they would be busy with their vision. So if somebody's, if somebody's criticized you, somebody's made fun of you, that's endorsement from God. Keep going. You're getting close. If you're gaining attack, you're getting close. Keep going. God's doing some things. He's working some things out. Praise him. Right? That's good. Good news. So we got these seven things. Can we just put that whole list up there one more time? Seven things about vision. Um, you can't build without vision. All of us created for vision. You may have come in here and not thought, I've got a role to play in this vision that God's got. Yes. And he wants to show you through a relationship with him. And when he shows you, write it down and celebrate it. Show it to somebody for clarity and accountability. The vision has an appointed time. Might be a now vision, might be a later vision. Doesn't matter. Celebrate the vision. It's a good vision when God gives it to you. The vision needs a plan. Start working it out. Decide what you're gonna do when you get the opportunity to do the vision that God's called you to. The vision requires God's provision. He wants you to trust him. Your vision needs faith to accomplish it. And the vision will come under attack. But don't give up. Havana, could you guys come back up? Let's have, and I just want us to, um, I just want to encourage you. If you want to build with Jesus, you're going to find his vision. And it's going to be scary, and it's going to be awesome. But remember, the vision is getting from where we are to where we know he wants us to be, to getting from something that's broken to something that's being addressed. Vision is our opportunity and one thing that I don't think that Nehemiah was really counting on is that because of his obedience, he fixed the walls, he restored the strength of the city, and you know the first thing they did when it was finished? They worshiped the Lord. They're like, we're gonna take a week and we're gonna worship all that God had done. When we're obedient to our vision, it catalyzes God being glorified in a place where he wasn't being glorified at the time. If your vision is just making you more money, that's not God's vision. God's vision always ends in him being glorified. And they were in captivity for hundreds of years. And they like gathered to worship and they're like, where's the scrolls? 
somebody get the word of God. And they were desperate because it was dry and desolate and they hadn't had it for hundreds of years. And they got around to worship and they're like, somebody read us the word. And it says when they started reading the word of God for the first time in hundreds of years, they were so grateful that they stood up like we stand up to worship. Like somebody just started reading from the Old Testament and they, and the people, they stood and they raised their hands to glorify God and go, we're desperate for those words. We've, we've missed those words. And so when we're obedient in our vision, it culminates in worship. The people of God glorifying him. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.